Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Let us uh, join in prayer. Let's join in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have made it possible for these professionals to come together once again in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, not for form, but for a forum, not for fashion, but that we might be fashioned according to the image of the Son of God. You said in your word that whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Let your spirit move in our midst. Let your spirit teach us, guide us. Let your spirit anoint us afresh to do the work and the works of God. We thank you, Lord God. We pray for each individual in his or her place of professional occupation or engagement that you would supply every need, that you would grant every God-honoring request, that you would grant every resource necessary for the fulfilling of kingdom of God purpose. Father, we pray that you will minister to them spirit, soul, and body, and that all of their connections and relationships will be made whole and wholesome, that they might glorify you, and that we might glorify you. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Bless the Lord. Lorene, it's good to see you. Here we are. We've been dealing with the theme being, becoming, doing. Being our eternal purpose. That is God's eternal purpose for us when he created us in himself. Listen, I'm not going to invest a great deal of time in it. <clears throat> uh, I'm not going to invest a great deal of time in it today, but I want to tell you that I argue very strongly. And when I say argue, I don't mean we have an argument. I mean, I contend, I assert, I believe um, very strongly that humankind does not originate in dust and soil, but that humankind originates in God. That yes, our bodies originate in soil, but bodies are not what we essentially are. What we are essentially is spirit. Now, it's interesting to me that the Bible doesn't just come right out and say, in the beginning, God created mankind a spirit. And, you know, it doesn't say that. It really doesn't. It doesn't state it that way, shall I say. It does say it, but it doesn't state it. But as we study the Old Testament and as we understand the Old Testament in view and in light of the New Testament, we have to conclude that humanity is essentially spirit. In the image and after the likeness of God, more than anything else means that we are spirit beings. It means that more than it means that we have hands as God has hands or we have eyes as God has eyes. You know, there are some scholars who argue that God does not have hands and that God does not have eyes, but that those terms are symbolic. They take the term with which I know many of you are familiar, anthropomorphism, and they take the term anthropomorphism 
to mean that God is referred to in human terms or as though he had certain human characteristics or attributes just for us to understand. I disagree. I really think that maybe it should be called instead of anthropomorphism, maybe it should be called theomorphism because it is not that God is referred to as having hands like man. I believe that man's hands are fashioned after God's hands. That man's eyes are fashioned after God's eyes. All of that is encompassed in the term after or the phrase after his likeness. Okay, sometimes we use in his image as a catch-all. Sometimes the expression in his image is used as a catch-all, meaning in the image after the likeness, everything we got that resembles God and that is like unto God in its original state, you know? But being technical, using the terms that he used, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, after our likeness would pertain to all those uh, communicable characteristics and, 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 and traits, okay? The eyes, um, intellect, all of that would be likeness, okay? Image, image is really Christ. According to the New Testament, Christ is the image of God. And so I've said from time to time that Adam, the first Adam, was the first Christ. N not that he was Jesus, not at all. But what Jesus became as a man, that's what Adam was before the fall. That's when I say, that's what I mean when I say he was the first Christ. He was the first one, anoint, first human that was anointed. He was the first, but but the Bible tells us explicitly that Christ is the image of God. Tells us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, uh, tells us that in Hebrews chapter 1, tells us that in Colossians chapter 1. Um, so Christ is the image of God. And so uh I, I really don't want to dwell on that. That's not the lesson today, but 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 Christ is the image. So when we were created initially, we were created in Christ. Before we were brought forth out of Christ, we were created in Christ. You know, we were brought forth. He breathed into that body the breath of life. He breathed into that body the spirit that he was carrying. God created us in himself and, and then released us into the, into the body. He did that with the first man. He does that with every man and woman. That's why I teach people that you were in Christ before you were in your father's scrotum and in your mother's womb. You were in Christ, created in Christ. You were in the mind of God. Okay. Now, how is that? I can't explain all of that because I'm not God and I don't know everything there's to know about God. I'm just telling you what, what is declared in the scripture. He, he tells, he tells uh, uh, Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you, sanctified you, ordained you. Okay? So that's what we, that, that's what we teach and so when we say being, that's that's the dimension we're talking about. We're talking, you know, I see all these preachers all up and down the chat just preaching away. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not gonna fall for it because if I do, I'll I'll join, I'll join in and we won't be, we won't be anywhere near where we're trying to get today. But being, that's where God purposed us, that's where God created us, that's where God thought us, that's where God engineered and designed and crafted us within, okay? Then uh, becoming, that is 
that that he had in himself, that that he had in himself, as he deposits that into the earth, as he ignites the biological processes, he ignites, uh, you know, our mother and father and all of that coming together. Now the being begins to come on the clock, on the calendar. Clock and calendar, clock and calendar, be coming. Clock, calendar, clock, calendar, be that eternal individual, eternal, not eternal as God is eternal. I mean, in God starts coming. And the processes and the development and the growth and the training and the teaching and all of that, that's the becoming. You and I are right now in a state of becoming. The Bible talks about us, uh, for example, going and growing from strength to strength. He talks about us going from faith to faith. The Bible talks about us going from glory to glory. Isn't that right? And so all of that is the becoming. Our text has been Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out from your kindred, from excuse me, from your country and your kindred and your father's house unto a land that I will show thee. In the Hebrew it says, come to yourself. Come to yourself? Yes, because yourself the one that God originally created, you're on a journey. You're on a journey of becoming that individual. You're, you're on a journey of discovering and rediscovering who he said you were before you began to discover who you were. When you finish, when you finish, you will finally have reached what he purposed from the beginning. When you when you finish, you will be at the place where he started. Come to yourself. Not yourself, flesh, carnal, fallen, broken, flawed, fallacious, corrupt. Not that one. The one that was created in Christ Jesus unto good works, the Bible said. Hallelujah. May I read that one to you? Then we're going to move. Because if I, I, I could stop at any of these points, but let's just read one. Ephesians chapter uh, two. And of course, it's, it's, it's speaking collectively, but I believe that what applies collectively in this instance also applies individually for lots of different Bible reasons. Ephesians chapter two, you're familiar with this, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto God, uh, unto good works. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. When did God ordain them in the being? When he created you, when he thought you, okay? Now, we have been recreated. Therefore, if it, see, See, see this? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, now he's talking about conversion. Now he's talking about, now he's talking about coming to God. Titus, in Titus, Paul uses the term, verse two, a uh, chapter two rather, regenesis. That's not exactly the way it's written in the King James, but he calls it regeneration. In other words, what we got in Genesis 1 and had in chapter 2, but lost in chapter 3 of Genesis, in Christ, we get that back. We get that back. We get re-Genesis. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new Genesis 1 and, 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 and ultimately Genesis 2. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is regenesis. 
All right. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's back on the path of his be truly coming. Bless you, Pastor Jabeed. Everybody clear on that? That's one of the reasons why sometimes I will say that Genesis is actually the last book of the Bible. That, that, that's one of the reasons why I say it that way. We know it's the first book. But one of the reasons why we say it's the last book is because we're going to end up where God originally intended. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We're going to end up where, where God originally intended. You see all these preachers preaching all up and down. I'm not just talking about licensed ordained preachers. I'm just talking about they're just they're just preaching away. You see that? Let let them go. <laughs> You see there, Reverend Bellamy and all of them, they're just up and down. They're just going for it. I'm not going to yield to the temptation to respond directly to them because we'll get we'll get bogged down. But but you do see it, right? That's our theme. Being, becoming, and doing. When you're really in the will of God, you're reaching back, so to speak. You're reaching into the eternal, bringing that into time. When you're in the will of God, and, and I sincerely, now this is just an opinion. I don't like to give a lot of opinions of mine, but this is, this is an opinion of mine. I believe that one of the reasons why people experience in the positive sense, not these crazy demonic kinds of things. But every now and then something good, something godly occurs um, in our lives. And it feels like I saw that before. I, I knew that was going to happen. I, and some people call it deja vu. I, I, you know, we can call it what you will. But sometimes I think those are just clues that we're coming to what we be in Christ from the beginning. That that's that's just a personal. You don't have to make any kind of doctrine out of it. It's just a personal thought of mine. That every now and then we walk forward into his original intention. And there's that consciousness of something that we're not always conscious of. So much for that. Um, I'm going to read it to you uh, once again. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. He says in 12 and 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now, 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 this is stated again in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Get thee out from thy kin country and from thy kindred, thy father's house. This is the way it reads in Romans 12 and 2. And be not conformed to this world. <laughs> that's it. That's it. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That, that's it. See, his country, his kindred, his father's house, that was his world. That was Abram's world. And God said to him, be not conformed to your country, your kindred, your father's house. Come to a land that I will show you. I'm not showing it to you now. But as you detach yourself from your world, I'm going to show you my world. Where we were last time, with respect to that, with regard to that, Abram, that's not that's not where we were. This is another parenthetical. When, when Abram left his world, when Abram detached from his world, God gave him another world. And not only did God give him another world, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter four that God made Abraham heir of the world. I can't tell you that I fully encompass and fully comprehend what that means. I do know this. I do know 
that when the rich man went to hell and Lazarus went to paradise, he landed somewhere that was called Abraham's bosom. And I do know that the rich man acted as if in the world to come, at least prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Abraham was in charge of some aspect of the world to come, of, of the, the other world, so to speak, the other, the other realm, Sheol in the Hebrew, Hades in the new, uh, in the Greek rather. So, so, so I, I don't know, I don't know what all that means, but I do know that God called Abraham heir of the world. Here's the thing, here's the thing. When you detach from your system, see world in scripture is system more than anything else. When you detach from your mentality, your culture, the way you were always trained, the way you were always raised, the way you were always thought, the, the way you were always trained to think, the way that you were trained to behave. When you're willing to give that up, God will introduce us to his system. He will introduce to us to his system and his system is called kingdom of God. But now you cannot maintain this world and that world. I attempted to share a lesson Sunday before last in the St. John Church entitled Jubilee colon sampling the age to come. Age is another synonym of the word world in the Bible. And there are times in the New Testament where the Bible uses the expression, the world to come, the world to come. And it invites believers to be partakers of the realities of the world that is the age to come. And Jesus Christ came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. In a real sense, Jesus came preaching the message of the age to come. Thank you. He came preaching, um, and, and then in uh, Hebrews 6, the Bible used the expression power of the world to come, power of the age to come. The Holy Ghost, <clears throat> the anointing of God that causes yokes to be destroyed and burdens to be removed, these are powers of the age to come. Because in the age to come, Satan is defeated. In the age to come, Satan is exposed as the villain whom he is. But the age to come, the age to come came when Jesus came. Luke chapter 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, etc. Then he says, to preach the acceptable gear of the Lord. What is the acceptable gear of the Lord? What does that expression mean? When, when, when Isaiah uses the acceptable year of the Lord, what did Isaiah mean? What would his Jewish reader or his Jewish hearer have understood the acceptable year of the Lord to mean? Is he talking about a 365-day uh, year? No. Isaiah is alluding, Isaiah is referring to the year of Jubilee. In the book of Leviticus, God told the children of Israel, that every 50th year would be the year of Jubilee. It would be a Sabbath year. It would be a, a season in which all things that had been originally owned, but that had been lost from the hands of the owners due to things like debt and all of that kind of thing, all of those things were reversed and everything went back to its original owner. It went back to its original uh, designation. That's what Jubilee, the year of Jubilee, took place every 50 years. That's what it represented. In fact, that's what happened during that year. And Jesus said, I have come to preach, that is to announce the Jubilee. What Jesus was saying is, Jubilee now is not just every 50 years. Jubilee is in session because I am Mr. Jubilee. 
And now that I'm here, I'm bringing that reality of everything that has been stolen, everything that has been forfeited, everything that has been lost. I am your restoration. I am. And then remember now in the book of John chapter 11, hallelujah, he says, I am the resurrection. What's resurrection? Resurrection is the restoration of the life that is lost. You follow what I'm saying? I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am Jubilee. I'm Jubilee over sickness. I'm Jubilee over poverty. I'm Jubilee over death. I'm Jubilee over sin. Everything that has been forfeited, even legally, I am the Jubilee that says, restore it to the one who was originally to have held it. All right? Now, the reason why we refer to this as the age to come is because it is embodied in Christ, but it is not fully fulfilled until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is initiated in his first coming. It is consummated in his last coming. Come on and shout with me. I feel like running around in here. It won't, it won't edify you though. Let me say it again. I said it is initiated. It is inaugurated in his initial coming, in his first coming, but is fully consummated in his last, in his second coming. You follow what I'm saying? And so from the inauguration of the ministry of Jesus to the consummation of the ministry of Jesus uh, at the end of the end of the age. We are in Jubilee. Jesus is Jubilee. All right. And so the reason why, Pastor Thompson, we said sampling the age to come is because we can't we can't fully change the world into the way it will be when the Lord comes back but we can provide samples. Every time you lay hands on the sick and they get healed, that's a sample. Hamas, every time, every time, every time you speak a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or prophetic utterance, that's a sampling of the world to come. Every time someone who's bound and broken and wounded and you minister to them by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're giving them a sample of what it's going to be like when the Lord returns. Every time in this age, people have been resuscitated from death, it's a sampling of what it's going to be like when resurrection takes place. Because all, all we can do now by the, by the Holy Ghost, at times, we have been able to resuscitate somebody from natural death back to natural life. But that's a sampling. That's a sampling. When we get, when we get into the fullness of the world to come, it's not just going to be a resuscitation. It's going to be a resurrection. Reverend Bellamy, what I told the saints to do is that if they didn't want to believe the Bible, all they have to do is believe uh, Apostle Sam Walton. And that's exactly right. Go into uh, Sam's club, but they used to. I don't know if they do it now. And they would say, get a sample because they believe that if you enjoy the sample, you will pay the price to get the full product. Uh, David said it this way, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Sampling the age to come. Jubilee, colon, sampling the age to come. Do you see it? Our whole ministry is about passing out samples. The, the the gospel the gospel ministry passing out samples healing is a sample deliverance is a sample can you see that a limb being restored absolutely whenever you move in the supernatural whenever you move in the supernatural that's the power of the age to come can you see it That's not this natural age. That's not this natural world. That's not this natural system. And you see, one of the reasons why the enemy does not want you to walk in the spirit is because he knows that he's got the upper hand on us in terms of this system, cosmos, and this age, eon. But he knows that in the world to come, he knows that there's absolutely, there's absolutely no victory for him in the age to come. Remember in the book of Ephesians chapter one, the Bible says, 
uh, in verse 20, 21, 22, the Bible says that God has raised Jesus up far above all principalities, powers, above all might and dominion, and that he has raised him up above every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. See, not only in this world, but also in that Jesus is exalted above every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. The name of Jesus will have just as much authority in the age to come as it does in this world. Lord, have mercy. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, it is. Now, where we were last time is that we were talking about the priesthood of all believers. See, this that I'm talking, this engaging in the power of the age to come, this is for all believers. This is for every child of God. This is for every child of God. This is not just for the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the reverends. It's not just for them, the bishops. It's for every believer. Now, uh, in, in history, in the uh, 15th and 16th centuries, and uh, you might be able to go a little further back, there was a sociological movement that became an economic movement, became a political movement, um, but it was called the Protestant Reformation. And the Protestant Reformation is so-called because it arose as men and women in the system called Roman Catholicism protesting against certain abusive practices that were permitted in that organization, that religious faith organization. We're not fighting, I'm not fighting Roman Catholics, but there were aspects of Roman Catholicism, the ideology, the theology, that those who were in that system began to question. And one of them, one of the great abuses in that system, one of the great abuses in that system was the selling of indulgences. And an indulgence was basically a get out of hell free pass. Now, that's not exactly what it was. Okay. I'm just saying it that way for you to kind of get a frame. Then I'm going to narrow it. Uh, Roman Catholics in that day believed in some intermediate state between hell and heaven called purgatory for the dead. And that they were taught that you could pay certain amounts of money and purchase the soul of your loved one out of torment and ultimately into a chance to go to heaven. They were called indulgences. And uh, Martin Luther, the German monk, not Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., God bless him, but no, Martin Luther, his namesake, basically, his father's namesake, uh, the German monk, wrote up a document of 97 itemized abuses and, and, and reasons why he disagreed with what the Roman Catholic Church was doing in that time, nailed it to the Wittenberg church door. And uh, uh, he thought, Martin Luther, in his naivete, thought that, oh my goodness, that takes me another place. Martin Luther thought that the upper echelon of the Roman Catholic Church would be glad for him exposing those abuses. He found out that in large measure they were not that the corruption was systemic. That is, that is, it permeated and pervaded much of that system, much of that organization, much of that order. And ultimately, he ended up being put out of 
the Roman Catholic Church, and began what is now referred to as Protestantism or Protestant church or churches. You've heard of the Lutheran Church. Uh, There's so many uh, denominations, almost all of which spring out of Protestantism. In other words, almost all of the ones that we are connected with, or we trace our roots back to, whether they are Methodist or Baptist, or Presbyterian, Episcopal, they all are traceable to the Protestant Reformation. And one of the tenets, one of the fundamental beliefs of the Protestant Reformation was the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. That is, that all people who are born again, all converted people, all Christians, have the same standing before God and have the same rights before God and the same responsibilities for God to uh, share the gospel and to lead people to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Everyone was not pleased with that because in Romanism, there was this very, very clear and defined line of difference between clergy and laity. Clergy and laity. And clergy uh, was ranked above in many minds. Laity was ranked beneath in many minds. And as a consequence, there, there was the attitude that the clergy, they're the ones who do the work of God. They're the ones who uh, uh, steward spiritual matters and all of that kind of thing. The laity, all they do is natural. They're not particularly spiritual. They don't do the work of God. They do the work of man or the work of somebody, but they don't do the work of God. And, and what the clergy does is so important to God and so vital to the purpose of God, whereas what the laity does, eh, as long as you do it with a good conscience and you do it with good manners, that's fine, but that's not really important to God. Now, whether that's what was intended or not, that's what the, the common conception became. And you know what? Even though most of us trace our roots to Protestantism, and that includes the interdenominational, non-denominational, charismatic, Pentecostal, full gospel, apostolic, all of that. We still all trace our roots to Protestantism. We're all Protestants. Even though one of the tenets of the protest was that we do not believe in the artificial, superficial separation of laity and clergy, we've actually retained a measure of that. We actually have retained a measure of that, of the toxic side of that, unto the present. Because even right now, there are many of us who believe that 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 what goes on on Sunday is important to God, but what goes on Monday through Saturday, you're kind of on your own. You're on your own. You are O-N, you're O-W-N. You know, you are on your I guess if I weren't so Southern, I could say it better. You are on your own, okay? But no, no, that's not God's will. God's will is that we understand that there is no higher office in the body of Christ than sons of God. Son, we don't mean masculine. That's not what the Bible means when it says a son of God. Son of God means that you are an offspring of God with full right and full responsibility. Uh, I mentioned this morning that one of the reasons why people believed in the indulgences all of, and all of that is because they were not able to read the Bible. Why were they not able to read the Bible uh, for themselves? Uh, two main reasons. Number one, many people were illiterate they, in other words, they couldn't read anything. That's the first thing. But the second thing is that the vernacular, the, the, the common language of the people uh, did not have Bibles in uh, them. That is, the common languages, English, uh, French, German, 
there were not Bibles in those languages. The Bibles were in Latin and Greek. And so the common people, some of them couldn't read anything, and those who could read certainly were not reading those ancient languages. The priests could read those languages, so the priests would read, not only that, but uh, it was during this period that the printing press was invented. Prior to the printing press, uh, manuscripts had to be copied by hand. Therefore, books were relatively, comparatively rare, and they were quite expensive. So if you weren't wealthy, the likelihood of you knowing how to read was diminished, and the likelihood of you having something to read, a book was diminished. And so during the Protestant Reformation, which, which, runs, which runs concurrently with the Renaissance, and some of us would argue that the Protestant Reformation provided the fuel for the Renaissance, but, but be that as it may, uh, with the coming of the Gutenberg uh, printing press, it was possible to print multiple copies cheaply, you know, comparatively cheaply, so that there'd be more of them, and to print them in the common language of the people. And it was in that moment that literacy skyrocketed, biblical literacy skyrocketed. And therefore, this whole exotic, exclusive idea concerning the clergy began to suffer because people began to realize, you know what, the Bible didn't say that after all. That was some subjective spin that was put on it. And you know what's so ironic? Biblical illiteracy and semi-literacy at, at, at this present moment is extremely high. And we have no excuse because you can get a Bible from almost anywhere. Purchase one, not to mention the organization that freely give them away. And yet, Many of us, including believers, are just as biblically illiterate as many of those folk were then, with the possible exception of at least many of us are being preached to more accurately than some of them were. And of course, some of, some of us are not being preached to any more accurately because just like they were trying to buy a blessing then, people are trying to buy a blessing now. Most of us are not trying to buy people out of, out of hell to come, but they are trying to pay their way out of the hell that is now. And so this dichotomy, this false and, and dangerous dichotomy that separates clergy from laity has weakened the body of Christ, has weakened the body of Christ. Did you hear me? I'm going to say it again. This false dichotomy we're not talking, there's a difference between a distinction and a division. There is a difference between a distinction and a division. Let's talk about ethnicity, what they call race for a moment. Black and white are distinct. Black and white culture, they are distinct, but they don't have to be divided. And certainly they don't have to be antagonizing and hostile the one toward the other. You can respect a distinction without perpetrating and perpetuating a division. Men and women are different. That's a distinction. But there's no reason why we should see one another as the opposite sex. Why are we opposed one to the other? So you see, what we call clergy, that is professional apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, full-time manager, they call it. How can you be saved and not be full-time? But what we mean is professional clergy, okay? There is a distinction in that person whose whole life is given to studying the scripture, uh, praying accordingly, and then giving his life to equip the, the, the sheep. That is different from someone who does IT all day and does tennis lessons in the evening and, and uh, you know, attends worship on Sunday sometime. Yeah, that's different. But, but if both of those people belong, uh, belong to God, if both those people are children of God, that's not a division. And that doesn't mean that the fellow who is occupied 
uh, much of the time in things that pertain to the written word of God and teaching that and sharing that, that he's superior in the mind of God to that individual who does IT in the daytime and teaches tennis lessons in the evening. God expects, God expects that fellow who does IT and tennis lessons, God expects that person to have a walk with him to the, to the fullest of his capacity to do so. Just as he expects that individual who is the apostle or the bishop or the elder to have a walk with him. And God will reveal himself to the tennis teacher just as he will reveal himself to brother apostle or whomever. The assignment is different. And so the equipment that goes with the assignment will be distinct. But that does not make one more and one less. We're distinct. We're not to be divided. And you, you see, what ends up happening is that when that IT tech and tennis instructor thinks that spiritual things pertain to the elder and not to him, then many times he won't press in. He doesn't even think he can press in. He doesn't. He doesn't know that God expects through his IT uh, business or through his IT role as a part of that corporation that God expects to usher the kingdom of God into that system to the same degree of intensity and effectiveness as he does for elder to usher it in with his preaching and teaching. And so there's this thought that when I'm at the church, I, I, give, give me just a couple minutes. I know we're, we're, we're a little bit over our time. When we're at what we call the church, then we have one mentality and one perspective. And, and Jesus is real and God is good and all of that. And then we get to the job and, and in some cases our ethics change. I said to the group this morning, Somebody, you know, said a, a use an expletive in the foyer of the church building. I'm just using it hypothetically. So I said, boy, don't be cussing in the church. But he cusses away from the church. You better not be lying in the house of God, but you lie other places. This destabilizes, this destabilizes the effectiveness of the body of Jesus Christ. James wrote on behalf of God, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I believe that one of the reasons why we as a body are as unstable as we are is because we are operating with a double mind. We're operating with a double mind. That clergy laity mindset is a double mind. Did you hear me? That sacred secular mindset is a double mind. God calls for us to be people of integrity, a mindset that integrates the powers of the world to come with the pressures of the world that is. Distinction, yes. Division, no. And so our witness for God is destabilized and unstable and therefore not nearly as potent as it could be. Because we have drawn a line where God never drew it. And we have placed a barrier where God never placed it. When we say integrity, most of the time, Elder Williams, we mean someone who's honest, someone who doesn't lie and steal, and that's right. But the word integrity is also related to integrate. That is, take all of who God made you and integrate it into thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every spiritual gift, every natural gift, every sphere of influence, all of the entertainment, all of the technology, all of the learning, the education, all of that, along with the tongues and interpretation thereof and fasting and praying, integrating that into one 
whole manifestation of who Jesus is called the body of Christ, the church. That's God's will for us. And so if you've been living a double-minded reality, if you've been trying to be one thing on Sunday and the other thing Monday through Saturday, if you have one view of God in the house of God and another view of God when you're in your workhouse or the courthouse or the schoolhouse or any other house, dismiss that. He's the same God. And you're the same person. And God wants you to live a life of integrity. That everything you are is integrated into everything else that you are. He wants you whole. He wants your eye, he said in Matthew uh, chapter six, to be single. That is your perspective, to be whole and wholesome. We have two eyes in our skulls, but those two eyes produce one vision. He wants us to have one vision, one vision of God and one vision of ourselves. Yes, we're multifaceted, okay? Yes, we're multidimensional because he's omnifaceted and omnidimensional. but we're not divided. Paul asked the question Question in, in 1 Corinthians chapter one, is Christ divided? The answer is no. The Christ of your Sunday is the Christ of your Monday through Friday and or Saturday. That's what necessitates the Protestant Reformation then. That's what necessitates a fellowship of kingdom professionals now. God wants your vision of him and your consequent vision of yourself to be integral, to be integrated, to be whole. Our time is gone. Thank you so much. I pray, I sincerely pray that you have been strengthened and encouraged, um, maybe challenged, maybe provoked to do some thinking and some reading and some talking with one another. I, I love your feedback. I welcome it. And uh, may God continue to bless you as you go. God bless you and keep you until we meet again. This is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, encouraging you to go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, let us bring pleasure to Christ's heart and let us bring fame to his name. Until we meet again, may the peace of our eternal God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.